2: Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions, like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs 24-7, live support and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. All right. Glad to have you all here for the first 15 and 60 doing a little bit different format here. Number one, uh, we're going to split this into two parts uh, because we had so many good questions. We really wanted to extend it over two episodes. So this will be today's a- and Tuesday's episode and in case you missed the call earlier we're actually doing a mailbag because it's a little too early to get into some of the stats uh, and stuff but we do want to continue that tradition of talking about every team especially early on always uh, really fun to do uh first though we got to talk a, a little bit of news here we'll start with uh, the fracas as uh, marv would say on saturday night suspensions abound i don't really want to go through analyzing the number of games of the suspension we're just going to say it there's plenty of other people who are going to talk about that it's not really very interesting we got a lot more interesting stuff to discuss but brandon ingram four games for beginning the incident and then escalating it by returning to the fray with a punch rondo three games for the punch and also spitting on chris paul and chris paul two games uh for throwing some punches as well uh what else we got here
1: Well, we should talk a little bit about the age limit reporting by Woj that the age limit negotiations have hit an impasse. And this is an impasse that is both surprising and unsurprising. The unsurprising part is that the teams are trying to get more from the Players Association. Basically, the the big points here are they want medical information and combine participation from everybody who, you know, from from everybody. I think it's specifically maybe of the, the high school jumpers, but the agents in particular are going to fight incredibly hard and I think will basically prevent this from happening if the medical issue is something the teams insist on because that sets a precedent that agents really like to have that power and think about how little power players have in the draft process I mean they're getting chosen they're getting chosen by a team that they have very little control over they are on that team for at least four years if they're drafted in the first round and then the team has match rights on top of that and so to basically demand medical information which is one of the few pieces of leverage that they had i get why the teams won it but i also get why the agents and thus the players say hell no
2: yeah think of how many people would have been stuck on the kings if they weren't able to deny them their medical information and everyone was forced to show up to the combine. although there wasn't at least they're not trying to say everyone has to play five on five at the combine uh another reason apparently why they're doing 2022 is because there's a class of current american high school freshmen who are will have access now to the usa basketball national program Uh, So, and that will also enable the NBA to get more familiar with those guys when they are younger. So hopefully there won't be as much of this, oh, we don't know who these guys are. We can't scout them, blah, blah. Uh, more news. We have seen some rest early on in the season. I I joked on Twitter, though it's not really even a joke that oh yeah, these games really matter. Don't tell me these games don't matter. Look at the excitement early in the season, and then you remember that there's way too many of these games when guys start resting three games into the season. Uh, and Kawhi Leonard rested. the The Raptors won anyway in Washington, and. I think that's a noteworthy just because of what that tendinopathy was, right? It's kind of an overuse injury, it's a chronic injury, and so they really want to keep it from getting to where it flares up again, and, you know, even when Kawhi came back towards the middle of last year, he was able to get it to the point where he could play okay, but then, you know, it would be sore afterwards, and... So I think they really are just trying to avoid any kind of an overload in terms of repetitive stress to it early in the season. And it hasn't really been a minutes restriction. He played plenty of minutes in the first two games, but then on the back-to-back, they rested him. And same thing with Gordon Hayward. Hayward, I think, you know, because it just wasn't during the season and there was other stuff going on. The significance of that second surgery that he had, we talked about it, obviously, but, you know, it wasn't something that really was discussed until Zach Lowe's article and that Players Tribune slash athletic video, athletic.com slash space by the way, to sign up and, and give us some credit if you sign up for The Athletic, uh, that yeah you know you have a plate taken out of your ankle that's another significant invasive surgery and so hayward looked much better in that game i thought against the raptors on friday which we did for twitter nba show and really enjoy that was just a, a wonderful yarn of a game but so he's resting as well he appears to be on like a 25 minute limit they're not even starting him in the second half either um to help him be able to close games uh we'll just go through some of the rest of the west stuff and then we'll do the rest of the news for the east in line here uh Dirk is out at least through the end of the month with uh, that ankle issue and it really doesn't even sound like he's doing anything or like starting to practice or anything so it could be even longer uh than that you would think and then in Memphis big news Jermichael Green out for a month with a broken jaw the second straight home opener where he's had like a four-week injury uh they're talking about four to six weeks for him and jaron jackson jr had 24 points in uh against the hawks isn't that also danny who he torched for that like ridiculous eight out of 13 from three game uh in the first game of summer league
1: i believe it was yeah. yeah
2: so i guess he just like can't miss against the hawks uh but it'll be awesome to see him in the starting lineup. And really good to see that, you know, at, at this point, four of those top five picks are just going to be starting for their teams. You don't see that all the time. Bagley, ironically enough, the guy on the worst team is the one who's not starting. Uh, uh, maybe the Hawks are the worst team. Uh, and the, the uh, Kings did have a nice win in OKC. They've been quite competitive in two of their three games. Um All right, you want to get started here uh,
1: talking about the Atlanta Hawks, Danny? Yeah, let's do it. And again, we're not saying not only we're not going to do records, but we're also not going to do all the rankings because there's no point. Uh, Oh, they're blank in offense. They're blank in defense. It's three, four games. It doesn't really matter. And-
2: Oh, and I'm also so we we're also a, a series putting eight of good minutes questions on the here. clock here too. Um
1: yeah, we're putting eight minutes on the clock. I don't know if you want to start the clock with the the little yeah. discussion we're gonna have yeah, on the Yeah, let's talk game they about that game today. today. You, do you want to yeah, include that,
2: that? That sounds good. All right, yeah. eight minutes on the clock and here we go. I'll try to catch it before the annoying buzzer goes off. But uh, you know, sometimes we just need that to curb our, our worst rambling instincts. So Trey Young 35 points today against the Cavs and an absolute 133 111 destruction also had 11 assists he just looked great he got up 14 three-point attempts made six of them was bombing from deep really on catch and shoots in particular i think he's looked pretty good early in the season he was plus 16 after he had some miserable plus minus numbers in the first two games and we saw exactly what it was that made us and and particularly me who had him number two on my board so excited excited about him was that once he starts hitting those shots and you have to double team him so much more opens up right and the Cavs you know had plenty of experience playing against Steph Curry but uh, they apparently forgot all about that or just didn't take Young that seriously so once he started hitting then he was able to get the assist work going and I think he's actually you know if you're going to compare him to Steph again a much more natural passer than Steph and I thought that some of the things that looked really good for him were getting into the lane rising up and then being able to drop the pass off to the big at the last moment it looked really good well of course had much much more on young once we get s- some more tape on him but this is a really really encouraging game for him he just absolutely killed uh colin sexton and then uh a few other notes here um the transition d for the the hawks was not good uh they really struggled matching up in transition but cleveland just wasn't able to run quite that much after the first quarter. they had, the Hawks hugs usually trailed by 15 in the first quarter and it looked like it was gonna be another miserable blowout um they also just have nothing at the four right now with john collins out uh and you know they're starting vince carter he can't rebound or protect the room at all he's just basically a standstill shooter at this point then they're bringing in amari spellman who actually has had some moments in this game but you know he's not a, a three-point shooter either or i'm sorry he's not really a four either um i thought torian prince continues to look good finishing at the rim uh his ball skills he's able to blow by guys on switches a, a few times um kevin Herter, really my first chance seeing much of him i liked his ball handling ability in transition liked the fact that he took some threes uh, off the dribble and uh, on offense i was actually impressed with his mobility and athleticism and his ball handling you know he's more i think you know in terms of that stuff than like just a straight kyle corver type but he really struggled on D. He's not. he's a very upright player he's more of a straight line up and down athlete than uh being able to sit down into a stance and he really doesn't get deep enough in his stance either really he's just very statuesque uh defensively deandre Bell. Breeze three-pointer looks really good. Right now he was even they even ran a play for him to come off a screen and shoot a three. Um and uh, so he, he was able to make three out of four. Spellman was four of five from three, as well as the Hawks were 22 out of 47 from downtown in this game. So that's all I had there. Uh, do you want to get into the questions?
1: Yeah, we can do that. One thing I'll mention is I really enjoyed watching Young and Herter play together. And offensively, defensively, they're going to be real problematic for a while. But offensively, like Herter's a logical beneficiary of the attention Trey Young's going to get when he's hot. And there was one big play late where it, it was the ball ping twice, I think, herder he had a three that effectively ended the game and the ability that her has to handle the ball could be useful and then, that actually ties in with the the first question that we'll do and we'll see how many questions we can get to which is what free agents could or should the hawks reasonably get for next year and you start by saying how much space they're gonna have wh- Yeah. So they'll have about, you know, 38, 40 million in space, depending on where their draft picks end up, because they're not only getting their own, but they have that protected pick from Dallas that they might be getting. And so one of the big things they have to do this year is figure out what they need most, what they need. And fortunately for them, I think they can go in a lot of different directions. I don't know whether John Collins is a four or a five. I also don't know if he's good enough to preclude you from signing somebody at either position. Torian Prince, I think can be a part of it, but you can figure out what his ideal role is too. So what I would be looking at as one of the more important things, things i mean sure it'd be great if you could get a really capable score but somebody who can help give you a defensive identity on the interior would be a great thing and because you you could draft that guy too but i think identifying because the center talent's going to be available this year you can maybe try to find somebody there and then a big target would be finding if it's not her a logical backcourt partner for trey young
2: yeah backup center as well i mean someone to be what they're hoping lynn would be lynn was awful today by the way he does not look good coming off that torn patellar tendon that that remains one of the just weirdest moves of the off season was paying taking him into cap space so you could pay him 13 million this year um but here's some of the names that that come to mind for me um you know i think you want to go young obviously some restrictive range i think tj mcconnell is someone who could be a really good long-term fit has a backup point guard behind young he also just kind of does some of the things that young doesn't you know he's tough he's scrappy um and he'll be an unrestricted free agent as well i mean there are so many point guards on the market uh it's crazy spencer dinwiddie is a name certainly that would come to mind as well uh Corey joseph will be a free agent he's a guy again who provides some of that toughness uh that maybe young is not going to have and he's also has experience playing in two point guard lineups patrick beverly maybe would be an older option if they decide they really want to you know try and take a step forward next year we'll see what they look like at the end of the year um, Dale wright also kind of falls into that category. I mean, they're not going to be in the mix for the top free agents, obviously. uh Maybe Malcolm Brogdon is another one. I assume Brogdon is going to turn down the biggest extension that he can get, which, eh, you know, I'm not sure if that's a great idea. We'll see how, what kind of a season he ends up having. He is definitely older, but there, I mean, there are a lot of options at point guards. I mean, Thomas Satoransky is another one, uh you know, who could be a good player on this team. We didn't even mention Terry Rozier as well. So uh, a lot of good guys. And then I think at center is another one, some younger guys. Guys, more on the restricted side jordan bell uh willie collie stein maxi kleba is someone who i think could really help them as a you know kind of a switch center can hit some threes uh but it, you mentioned we don't know whether collins is a four or five i think they really need to answer that question this year and if he is and i think they need a four regardless of whether he's a four or five because they don't really have anyone else like that on the roster as well but i think that's uh that's pretty good let's see how much time do we have left here all right we got a minute 20 you want to do another one of these real quick uh will Torian prince be the hawks best player this year
1: game in game out i think he will be because collins is such a dependent player and i think prince could do a little more with the ball in his hands and trey young is going to be incredibly up and down and so i think prince can be their best player this year
2: trey young might be the most inconsistent player in the whole nba this season and then uh early thoughts on on lloyd pierce um you know i think a lot of it's going to be development he's certainly empowered the young players early in part due to some of the injuries uh, that they've had but even the guys who are out you know they'll probably look better with Dwayne deadman back uh, as well um as I mentioned, I didn't really care for their transition defense. But they're doing a lot of stuff, I think, to make life easier for Young. I like the fact that he's just putting the ball in Trey Young's hands and letting him go to work as, you know, a 19, 20-year-old point guard. Um, and they're doing some decent stuff to get him going. And when he was hot, they really ran some nice stuff. The players themselves really actually ran it, which is good. Again, he's empowering them where, you know, they had Young give the ball up and then come off that screen at the top of the key, the Kyle Corver screen. I call it where the Hawks are really the first one to run that where they would send it to the wing and then have a big screen away for a shooter and uh we are done okay um before we get to boston This from TripAction, I've been booking a lot of travel for myself lately, and if you're booking a lot of business travel, it's pretty outdated at at this point, point. it's really time-consuming. But TripAction takes the pain out of corporate travel management with a complete solution that helps businesses save and keeps employees happy. You don't want to send your employees uh, rotted through Pierre, South Dakota every single time. Is that the most obscure state capital, you think, Danny? Pierre, South Dakota? Maybe, maybe Jefferson City, uh, Missouri? Bismarck? Uh, Bismarck, I think, is the biggest city in North Dakota, though. It's like like the, the ones I think, of, the oh, ones it might I think be. of obscure are the ones that are just like have no other purpose other than being a state capital and just like in some random location. Like
1: You might <laughs> have uh, sold it for you.
2: Well, Trip Action won't take you to any of those obscure state capitals unless you're Got that as your end destination, of course. With easy booking from desktop or app, 24-7 proactive around-the-globe support, and incentives for employees to save on travel expenses. That's always good, too. Companies large and small see over 90% adoption and up to 34% savings on travel when they use trip actions. No wonder companies like Lyft and Sarah Lee's Frozen Bakery trust TripActions with their business travel. Learn how it can reshape business travel at your company today. You'll be rewarded just for checking them out. Go to TripActions.com slash Capspace, attend a 30-minute demo, and you'll get a $100 Amazon gift card just for watching that demo. Hurry, this offer is valid during this month only. That's tripactions.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time in the program. For a free demo and a $100 Amazon gift card, tripactions.com slash capspace. Let so them know that slash capspace URL that you came from us all right what we got for the boston celtics we'll kind of do we'll do one like main question and then we'll do like a lightning round uh, at the end here
1: so the main question we're going to do is do you think the celtics will get under the luxury tax this season and how if so the celtics as a point of reference are almost exactly three million over the tax line as of right now and I think the first place to start here is should or should, shouldn't they? And for me, the answer is more so than almost any other team they should. And the reason why is because of the prospect of the repeater tax in a couple of years. And while Boston's tax bill this year would not be prohibitive, remember, that's adding a dollar for dollar in a year that this team might be crazy expensive. They want to re- retain Kyrie Irving. They presumably want to retain Al Horford. Tatum and Brown will be on big money, new deals at that point. Terry Rozier, if he's still around, will be too. So to get under for $3 million, one way to do it would be involving Terry Rozier his money actually squares it pretty cleanly but I think if they were to trade Terry Rozier they would want immediate contributors so the way I would do it would be unloading Yabusele and Jabari Bird I don't know the complications because I've just never dug into it about if the the really disturbing allegations against Brown if or Bird if something happens there with Jabari Bird what they can do in terms of getting out of that contract but either way three million is not that much for them to get off of and they could do it with those two guys and they would actually still have about a million if they did those two moves to get somebody at the absolute minimum maybe prorated later on in the year and then they would be able to make it work
2: yeah yabusele you could see certainly just a, either some sort of a trade being made that he would be involved with or they wouldn't take back much uh you know he's not in the rotation uh he is very unlikely to contribute anytime soon uh, and maybe you could see them moving someone like semi Ojole as a sweetener as well uh you know if, if Ojole just is not gonna be in the rotation i, I like ogile but
1: they also have a ton of picks i mean they could just throw any any number yeah i mean one
2: thought is i i think if they were to move rosier that if they did that trade they would want to find a way to also unload other salary and get below the tax but the salary matching becomes difficult when you just got rosier and some of these other small salaries you probably would need to get marcus morris involved there but marcus morris you know actually is going to contribute and they've said hey you know this is a championship contender it's really tough sell even if i completely agree with you that it is smart for them to get under the tax this isn't like denver where like denver fans are telling me oh yeah like but the repeater tax it's like they've never paid the tax like they're so far away from being in the tax four out of five years uh but this team you know with all the talent that they have and the need to pay them they absolutely are gonna be in tax so it is a much more valid concern when you're so close to it that you might be able to get out and really you know maybe you could say that marcus smart could be in a trade once he's eligible uh on january 15th uh could you sign with full board rights it's january 14th f- 15th versus december 15th if you're just signed as a, as a free agent uh so it is a little bit difficult because you know aaron baines is another one he, he can block a trade though so a lot of their salary it, it's really tough uh, to move here and so you, you wonder uh if and how they could do it. i mean if if i had to make a guess and also remember that there's some teams with trade exceptions that could probably fit yabusele um but you know what is the price right this boston team i don't know how many good seconds they have available but like does any is anybody interested in uh you know the number 59 pick in the draft because this team's going to be good and maybe not and you know giving up one of their first seems pretty rough and and so maybe what the structure could be again is all right a way to offload a little bit of dead salary maybe you could include morris in there as well and get back someone who could contribute on the level potentially of a morris but even that is like all right so someone who makes three million dollars and now but can be as good as marcus morris there's not that many of those guys either and if you're giving give up a first round pick to get someone like that you know even if it's their own first round pick that becomes hard so i predict they will find a way to do it but it's not as easy as you might think
1: yeah i would agree with that and they they have their own seconds moving forward but they do not have any extra seconds so maybe it could be a circumstance where they give up a first and then the other team gives them their second. So like it's an, a net move down, something like that. One of those kind of creative moves. But we can get into, this one will be a little longer than a lightning round. Somebody asked if I still see Jason Tatum as a comp, as a potential complimentary star. And the answer is yes, because while Tatum has a, a wonderfully diverse offensive game and is more capable defensively, I think we talked about this on the Twitter NBA show we did, that he's not a dominant defender and anyone right now who thinks that he is is mistaken. But I don't trust him to be the linchpin of a successful offense or to be the linchpin of a successful defense. And so generally for me, if somebody is neither of those two things, they're a complimentary star. You can still be an all-star. You can still be a Hall of Fame player without hitting that. But if you're not that guy, it's just something different. It doesn't have to be a lot worse. I mean, I would say DeMar DeRozan is a complimentary star. And yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Jason I DeRozan I mean, could be better not than DeMar If you're Rosen. not a
2: top 15 or maybe even top 10 player in the league, you're probably, I mean, you know, because we talk so much about, you know, championships uh, on this uh, program. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it complimentary is, you know, what do you mean by complimentary? Uh, so, yeah, I, I see your point there, to be sure. Uh, I, now, is it impossible that he could get to be, you know, a top 10 player in the league? It's not impossible, but. Oh, he absolutely could. I mean, you're probably smart betting against anyone getting to that level, unless it's, you know, LeBron James coming out of high school or something. Um,
1: do we have enough time for the other well, lightning let, let round me questions?
2: Just a, a little bit more on that, too. I know this is was specifically about your opinion, but sure. I'll give my own, too, that, uh, you know, I don't see Tatum as a guy who, draws a lot of help and really is going to have the type of game to set up others right he's a mid-range assassin he's a scorer but is he the kind of guy who's going to get the sort of penetration or the be the kind of pick and roll operator where he gets in the lane forces help finds other guys can average a lot of assists you know, i mean really the best creators in the nba now are capable of doing that you know and tatum has shown some passing chops on occasion but you know he, his first instinct in life is to get to a mid-range jumper. And he's already very effective at that shot, more effective than I thought maybe he'd ever be in his career. He's already there now, you know, when he was coming out of the draft. And, and his three-pointer looks really good too, uh, good in transition, etc. But, you know, I, I, I'm just not sure that he is like, all right, we're going to give it to this guy, and he's just going to set other guys up. You know, he's kind of more of an ISO guy, and that's a very valuable player. But he's also, it's harder for that guy to be the foundation of a really efficient offense, uh, the number one star and score. Uh, but he's in a great situation in Boston right now um let's see how much time we have left 30 seconds rather keep rosier or smart for the long term
1: in the abstract rosier but i'm guessing he's going to get a lot of money on his next contract so if he gets you know let's say 18 million a year or something like that then i would rather have smart at his price than yeah Rozier. and he's
2: just more versatile th- than Rozier defensively um you know and especially when you consider that he's cheaper and he can guard more positions i agree i probably would rather have smart even if rosier is probably a better player all right, let's move on. We we made it out 5 seconds
1: before the buzzer. Uh Brooklyn Nets. This is a question that we get asked in various contexts, but is it more important for the Nets future that they improve their win total and try for the playoffs to lure a free agent? Or would they be better off getting a blue trip talent in the draft? And they are among the many teams to me that would benefit from playing this by ear. So if they're close enough to really, I mean, the playoffs in the East might be high thirties, it might be low forties, but if, if they can be in that mix in January, then I think they keep pushing forward. But if they're not, if they're clearly behind pace then you start to retool and so you use this beginning part of the year to to assess where you are and also test out the trade market to see really what a, a sell-off would look like because you need to know what the alternatives are
2: yeah I, I think that's right and you know they have had some guys who've looked good in the early going karis Levert looks better than we thought he would now you know that could be three gains but i think his shiftiness off the dribble i think is something that's going to continue to look pretty good dinwiddie has looked all right russell eh, you know okay um, Uh, I thought it was noteworthy that he was in the game in total garbage time against the Pacers last night. Uh, Ultimately, though, I don't think it's realistic for them to lure a free agent uh and now they say would they
1: well i'll I'll re i'll I'll phrase it differently i don't think it's likely that winning a couple extra games this year makes the difference if they're going to get somebody it's somebody who has a connection with the franchise that we don't really know yet and they're going to they're not going to be saying they're going oh they won 38 games instead of 32 that's why i need to go there
2: yeah that's another thing too and there's just to really have guys at the top of the market it just seems very unlikely that two guys are i mean they have the space but like that two players are going to go there and really transform them and and get them back into the playoffs i mean that doesn't seem incredibly likely to me and then that one guy is going to go there also seems pretty unlikely to me you know no matter how good they look this year that one guy is not going to put them in a championship contention very likely so they still don't have that one awesome guy though again Levert you know might be starting to change my mind on that a little bit uh and so they they gotta still get more high-end talent on this team the best way to do this is in the draft especially when you say getting a blue chip talent in the draft uh if we're saying like okay it's assumed that they're going to get a blue chip talent in the draft versus uh maybe they would get more respectable and maybe lower free agent then all right now it's a really a no-brainer to me uh but you know I fear that they're just going to kind of end up drafting 10th again and uh or not again because they never have their pick but uh they'll they'll end up drafting 10th and you know they've they've done a pretty good job I I, I was thinking about it during uh the Pacers broadcast actually was talking about this how they got Levert for taking on Andrew Nicholson and trading away Bogdanovich who then of course was playing for the Pacers I'm sorry they got Levert for trading away Thaddeus Young and then they got Jared Allen for for the uh Bogdanovich Nicholson uh salary dump and both those guys are now in the Pacers uh but uh Jared Allen and Karis Levert looking like two damn good picks for 20 and 22. So they've done a solid job. Uh, Roddy Kureks looks good, although he suffered a sprained ankle late in that game on uh, Saturday against the Pacers. So they've done a a solid job of finding talent late in the draft, but hopefully they'll get a chance to apply that too early in the draft. Uh, Any other thoughts there?
1: And I think that leads into one of the well, that leads into one of the lightning round questions I wanted to talk about, which is which of the players on the Nets has the most potential? They asked Russell, Levert, or Allen. I think we can expand it if there's somebody else that you feel does it. And it's interesting between Levert and Allen. I think the the for me right now, those are the two guys that I'm talking about, just because Levert has shown a lot more more burst. He's just more explosive to me as an offensive player. And it's not like D'Angelo Russell is a great defender. Jared Allen, I see him more as like maybe an above average center, starting center, which is intensely valuable. But I think I'd. probably Probably go in terms of ceiling. I think it probably go Karis Lavert.
2: And you know what? It's funny. I mean, you always say, "Oh, don't overreact to three games," right? Like, but just it's more. It's not that he's scored. You know, I think he's been over twenty points each of the th- first three games. It's not that he's scored these points and, and had efficient games. It's just these look good. He's created separation. He's beat good defenders. He was being guarded by D- Victor Oladipo, and quite a few times with excellent footwork was able to wrong foot Oladipo. He had a beautiful player. He came to the lane and then pivoted back over his shoulder uh he just totally blew by oladipo on a closeout as well uh really just he's it's more just about how he's looked than you know okay he's gotten hot shooting the ball or something like that so i i think it, my opinion is he's the highest especially because Allen, you know just is always going to have pretty limited ball skills centers are less valuable in general i know you said intensely valuable i would moderate that to valuable just because replacement level at center is so high kp has done some great work on that when he was talking about the draft last year so Uh yeah, Lavert would be at Russell. He's just too slow for me. Um, so I I just don't see his potentials being high enough. I might even put Dinwiddie as having higher potential uh than Russell. And and I was when we're talking about point guards. This is another thing actually that kp did some research on uh but there's an article by baxter holmes uh, about steph curry that point guards generally will have their best offensive seasons uh, at 29 although then they drop off very quickly after that but they peak later than most other positions do so you, you can see and we're seeing that with like kemba walker now too he's uh has been awesome the, the first uh, three games of the season we'll see if that continues a lot of that's been from three but uh so yeah i, I think that's uh that's it um all right, we got two minutes left here. Which of these last two questions do you want to do?
1: I like the question of sh- if should the Nets pay Russell or Dinwiddie. And my answer, as of right now, might be neither. the The, the real lawyer answer is it depends on how much each guy gets well, gets offered. I mean, d- yeah. Dinwiddie's Dinwiddie has a has Russell's, a minimum Russell's cap rest- hold,
2: and Russell has a twenty million dollar cap hold. Yeah. So that's uh that's a big part yeah. of it too.
1: And Dinwiddie, I I can see because he doesn't have the blue chip reputation, it's more likely that he falls through the cracks of free agency than Russell because somebody's going to see stars in their eyes because of what Russell was. And there's a reason why he was drafted as high, you know, drafted number two overall. So, or was he, he was three. Jaleel was, I can't remember anymore. But, but I think they need, they need to look for a a real long-term answer that makes sense with their core. And there's a significant chance that both those guys get overpaid or that spending on either of them takes the net out of the 2020 derby, which might actually be their best chance at really getting good free agents. All
2: right, let's uh, move on to the Hornets. To whom would you give a majority of the shooting guard minutes to for the Charlotte Hornets? And so who are our options here? I mean, I think we could talk about their wing rotation. We're going to talk about that actually for the Heat with Liam, who is really interesting. But, you know, some of the guys they have, uh, they've got Tony Parker, whom they've played some in two point guard lineups. Jeremy Lamb is starting for them right now. They got Malik Monk as well. He played 34 minutes the other night against the Bucs. Uh,
1: you know, and we should mention Nick Batum because he was the starting two-guard last year for yeah. this team, though he shouldn't be the two-guard for this team this yeah, year. Yeah, no,
2: it looks like Batum is probably going to be uh, you know, really at small four. Then Miles Bridges is in that mix. Dwayne Bacon, in theory, although he probably shouldn't play at all uh, based on what he's shown in his career um, as kind of a ball-dominant guy who doesn't shoot any threes and isn't efficient. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting i mean they actually have some options monk has has looked solid i think lamb though is the best two-way option uh also has some pretty good ball skills so i, I think him starting makes sense monk is you know really a, a lou williams type of sixth man uh, in theory if, if he can get there don't really care for tony parker at the two at all uh just with his lack of shooting and they have you know between monk lamb batum they've got enough other guys who can handle the ball on the perimeter that having parker out there with another point guard just doesn't really make sense i think he should just be more of a straight backup role i mean i think they're trying to find ways because he's this marquee sign they're trying to find ways to play him more uh but you know i don't really see him being particularly effective uh just as he wasn't really in san antonio last year so uh anything you would add to that
1: I would say when you have Kemba starting, and Batum can make passes and decisions, though he's not as dynamic uh, physically as he has been earlier in his career, you don't need as much of what Malik Monk brings. Sure, his ability to catch and shoot is valuable, and if Lamb continues to struggle as a shooter, then this starts to change the calculus a little bit, but I would rather have a little bit more size there, especially now that they're bringing MKG off the bench. So I think Lamb is a more cohesive fit with it. Now, if they move Kemba Walker, then you probably bring Malik Monk into the starting lineup to give you a more... Or dynamic ball handler to complement whoever is the other point, the other guard in the starting lineup
2: horns actually look pretty good early they, yeah uh, they oh, have. the heat almost came back on them the other day but uh they had a nice lead there just uh completely destroyed the magic I mean what that's going to be one of the worst offensive games all year uh that magic game uh in charlotte all right we got about four minutes left here where do you want to go next
1: i want you to answer this because i've been struggling with it since we saw it yeah. in the prompt what is a reasonable return for kemba walker in a trade right now
2: oh well there's always a couple of components to this right like if they're playing if they continue to play well this year then it takes a lot right because you're you're not gonna like gut this team that's gonna be in the playoffs uh but if you just say in a vacuum he's on the market what would be fair oh that's tough uh i think a low lottery pick you know might be something that that you could look at and then you know another player who is you know a solid player on on a decent contract um you know especially if you're talking about him probably getting traded at the deadline uh which you would imagine it's not going to be much before that if it does happen you know i mean we've seen for example to just think of the paul george trade you know kemba is not at the level that paul george was at when he was traded that seemed like a very low return based on on what typically has been there i think uh jimmy butler is an interesting analog as well right they're talking about josh richardson a good young player on a good contract the presumably if the hornets move walker they would be in more of a rebuilding mode uh the wolves are trying to get something that's more you know to continue to help this year with uh you know tom thibodeau not exactly looking towards the future at the moment with his job in jeopardy after this year in theory um you know you could look at then for just a regular start because it's just like kemba's kind of below a superstar but and you know i think he should get more than say eric bledsoe did last year even though bledsoe had two years on his contract uh and that bledsoe was essentially just you know a uh protected pick that was protected to be out of the lottery essentially uh for at least a couple of years so you know i'm thinking like something around the 10th pick the the 8th pick something like that you know in terms of that thing in terms of value but that's Or, you know, a top eight protected pick, a top six protected pick something something along those lines but you know who has that type of a pick right who is presumably going to get traded to a contender and then you're like all right you know what's what are you going to find there the teams that have the only good team that has a lottery pick going forward really is the Celtics and you know they don't have no need for Kemba Walker whatsoever so it's going to be hard to find a deal for sure that's going to really give them the type of future assets that they want you know i mean maybe if it's Phoenix but you know Phoenix isn't going to be in the playoff mix uh, Uh, so you know you could have like yeah
1: well and that that ties in with the other thing i wanted to say is there's also the complication of whether the team is treating him as a rental or whether they're getting value with his bird rights because that would be the ideal would be a team that could benefit from him this year and as his bird rights but there just aren't that many teams on that list like you know their possibility that new york would be interested in the abstract but they have no reason for it to get him this year they could get him in in free agency the lakers similarly like maybe they would give up something small he would definitely help them he would help them a lot but they also have lonzo and everything maybe like a
2: you know pacer like if turner hadn't been extended the pacer to the pacers for miles turner you know like that could have been like that sort of
1: a you know a good young starter that would have been so much fun too oh man kemba and oladipo together
2: yeah but but that's that's the sort of thing maybe there's someone who's going into restricted free agency because you know this team has got to pay kemba too that also really reduces his value all right we went over for the first time excellent the trade the trade will get us there uh, Chicago Bulls. Uh you had a, a few news items here to, to discuss with them. Denzel Valentine remains out with that left ankle injury. It was a, the initial timetable was one to two weeks. Then it was discovered that he has a bone bruise, apparently recently, or at the very least, it was publicized that he has a bone bruise. And this is the third big left ankle sprain that he's had in his career now. Uh and he's going an to be reevaluated for two more weeks. So that's not good. And then we actually speculated on this when Shaq Harrison was waved right at the start of the season that the Bulls would be a great fit for him. They have, in fact, signed him. They are going to waive uh, Omer Ashek, be interesting to see whether ashik gets stretched he's owed three million for next year they have to decide within 48 hours of waiving him but it's also possible that you know they could get a long-term injury exclusion for him whether they stretch him or not because of the the complications with his Crohn disease and arthritis he hasn't really been with the team he hasn't been playing at all so uh
1: anything else before we get to the questions on these guys well i'm happy that shaq Harrison's going to be on their team they needed another point guard in, in the worst yeah. way i mean it would have been great if they had him for the first couple games when they got their butts kicked because cameron Payne is not good he actually
2: scored okay better, in, in better that game against the pistons but th- they need someone who can yeah. defend oh,
1: one other thing before God. we get to the questions as as friend of the podcast stefan no pointed oh, out in their loss to detroit fred hoiberg in a tie game with like 13 seconds to go has jabari parker on the floor in a defense only possession and the pistons run a double high screen and then basically give Ish Smith the choice of where to attack surprise surprise he attacks jabari parker and surprise surprise he gets right to the rim gets a layup they win the game
2: yeah and hoiberg's reason after the game was well i wanted to stick with the group that got us back in the game and i've always never really cared for that logic that much i mean and especially in the last possession of the game where you're really matching up they've called a timeout they know exactly where they're going uh you know i don't really care for that also it's rare that i will dispense fantasy advice but any power forward who has any kind of ball skills going against the bulls being guarded by either bobby portis or jabari parker and you know not a ton of help defense on that team either um you know i mean just watching like what ben simmons and blake griffin at 33 is his high as a piston uh just completely destroying the bulls on saturday night so uh there you go a little free uh daily fantasy advice for you there um draftkings.com by the way use that cap space code uh all right here's the question i'll let you start off here what do you guys see as the optimal situation fit-wise for the Bulls front court long-term? Can Lowry and Carter play together all the time, or should they be staggered more?
1: I like the fit of those two oh, guys. Yeah? I I mean, it'll depend on how, how well they play, but in terms of fit, I have no problem with those two guys being penciled in as the front court of the future, and Carter's defense can work well. I mean, I, I still want to see more of Markin as a switch guy. He did show more athleticism last year than I, I expected from him, and you could do a couple of different things defensively but it's also gonna depend on who you get at the three i mean zach levine is not a good switch guy so there there are lots of problems there and they're paying him 76 million i believe it is hey he, so, he's yeah, uh, I have absolutely he's been no really problems.
2: good offensively if he plays
1: oh yeah if he plays oh, yeah. like
2: this all year we're gonna look like idiots for saying that was a bad contract
1: right yeah if he if he keeps being even even with his defensive foibles if he's this good offensively not a problem yeah, I like the, the... Do you disagree with me at all in the fit of Mark not and, and Carter? Uh,
2: I think those guys, that was the excitement of drafting Carter. Um, I think those are both pretty intelligent guys. Some guys who've shown some ability to switch uh, and offensively, they can both shoot the ball. We haven't seen much of the three ball yet from Carter. You know, he's been more kind of handling the ball, doing DHOs, but Carter can pass pretty well too. He can make decisions on short rolls, uh, you know, throw it to the weak side to Mark it in uh, and then space it out if they want to post up marketing as well Carter can also attack switches uh so no I think those guys are if I had to pick someone to be a good fit next to marketing I mean maybe you could say you know a clint capella type who could switch block shots you know ton of gravity at the rim that sort of thing but you know I really like Carter I mean those are both guys who are pretty versatile players and so therefore it's easy to fit them uh, together um
1: so now just just draft the best player available on the perimeter for as long as you can as long as you have to basically
2: will the bulls be last in defensive rating we got about uh
1: two and a half minutes left here oh i don't think we need two and a half minutes probably oh no but there's so many other candidates though danny there are other candidates and and it's true i think what could end up happening is that they're really at the bottom and then a team that tanks harder than they do just completely blows it up i I think they have a one in five chance
2: because there's just like there's so many other ones that are going to be really rough like you know phoenix i'm sure is gonna be down there uh you know certainly the kings will be down there the cavaliers absolutely will be heard from uh by the end of this the hawks
1: oh oh, we're gonna be talking about their defense very soon
2: the hawks will be heard from uh before this um I mean, it's pretty amazing too that like the average defense right now and the defensive ratings are a little bit higher on NBA.com now because they're doing actual possession counts instead of estimates, which always underestimated the number of possessions by a couple of games. But nonetheless uh you know the median defensive rating right now is orlando magic with 110.5 and that's like just about the worst in the league last year i mean the offense is up 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 and part of that's because of fouling uh and these fouls uh happening on the perimeter kind of in non-scoring situations that aren't really rewarding you know offensive attacks that are just turning blah possessions into free throws or getting teams in the bonus earlier but you know a lot of it too is just this very offensive environment and teams are just you know playing smaller when you play smaller you're gonna generally defend worse and score better and teams are taking more threes and they're running more and uh yeah pretty uh pretty crazy to think about but yeah th- there are still uh some real bad teams that are going to be heard from here i mean i i think i would put the the bottom tier uh as the calves bulls kings Suns Hawks and maybe you could throw the Mavs in there although I think they'll ultimately get better is just too good of a coach even if they don't have a ton of great defensive personnel
1: do we have more time no, left i think we we're done? good
2: we got like 30 seconds left. let's move on
1: oh well oh, oh, can i make one quick joke they said who are the Bulls' target and free agency next year and so I'm, i was thinking of chicago born free agents and so mon Schumpert was on that list yeah
2: uh oak, oak park rose? high school uh the one alum of my high school who's in the nba hey d rose uh, actually had a pretty damn good game against the uh the, Mavs he the did? other today um all right cleveland now oh and three as we record this which player would return the most assets in a trade once the Cavs start taking and i love the formulation of the question because they're already 0 and three uh eight minutes on the clock here let's uh let's go through that and then i'll talk a little bit about some of my observations uh from the game against the hawks which probably not gonna be very good because they gave up a buck 33 to a pretty under talented team
1: i would mean, ask you a clarification question before we start with this would you count the young guys like colin sexton because i don't think no, that's no, I, I, like yeah colin sexton players
2: realistically could be traded like larry Dance is not gonna get traded he's got the base year compensation issues anyway once you sign a rookie extension uh it's very difficult to trade someone because you unless it's into cap space because you count for the average of this year's salary and then the value of the extension as uh incoming salary for the other team but as outgoing salary you only count as your uh, salary for that year, which is really low. So it's very hard to make a trade with someone who's just signed a, a rookie extension. So Nance, Sexton, you know, we'll leave those guys out of it. Uh, Je- Jenny Osmond Jenny. will probably leave out of it. Everyone else, though, fire it up.
1: So what's striking here is how many of these players are negative value. So George Hill this year at 19 million, then he has a partial guarantee for 1 million next year. So he's basically an expiring contract. Tristan Thompson, 17.5 this year, 18.5 next year. JR Smith, 14.7 this year, partial guarantee of 39 next year Kyle Corver 7.6 this year partial guarantee either 7.5 or 3.4 next year Jordan Clarkson 12.5 13.4 all those people who said that we were wrong on Jordan Clarkson I want to I, I want to hear well them no actually anyway, uh, I mean so, he's been
2: scoring pretty well so far this year he, he might be
1: he's been scoring well but yeah. he's still a, he's still a negative value on that yeah God yeah right? no that's I
2: mean. true
1: yeah um yeah and so so then that's the question is basically bringing those guys and so for me I think Kyle Corver's probably depending on the circumstance he's probably maybe a Light, you know he's around there I think there are teams that could make use of him it's not the Cleveland Cavaliers at the moment but I would say he's the most desirable of that group because he doesn't have a big outlay for next year wouldn't come at a cost and he's a little bit older which I actually think kind of works because then you don't you're not planning on him being a part of your long-term core you could just fit him in right now
2: yeah interestingly and I agree with you there can I make a note
1: how ridiculous is it how far how my how far he's fallen that Tristan Thompson isn't number one on this list
2: that was one of the observations I had from this game is that his defense just is not where it used to be uh you know he had that calf injury last year some would say it's the kardashian curse but whatever it is he is not the same mobility that he was defensively you know back when he was playing defense in the 2016 finals even 2017 in the playoffs he did have a good defensive series against al horford in the conference finals but i mean he was getting blown by by uh torian prince blown by by Trey young um you know really just was not and if he's not able to be switchable defensively he really has like very very little value um so yeah I, I mean also interesting that in this game both kyle Corver and jr smith neither was on the injury list it's not like they're on a black to back being rested neither of those guys even played they started with uh osman and rodney hood uh, on the wing love uh george hill so i mean it, it's really uh you'd think they might want to try and like get his trade value up a little bit uh he'll probably start playing once they realize they're totally out but i mean it's very difficult for me to believe that like kyle Corver isn't one of the 10 best players on this team you know so maybe maybe they're just acknowledging more already that this is kind of a developmental season, um and just not playing Smith or Corver. Maybe Smith will be a bio candidate. He's owed uh, a small amount. Well, of and also.
1: Too sam decker being in the rotation because they have match rights on him after this year but it's it's not like they have him on some sort of value contract beyond this so evaluating him giving him regular rotation minutes is is another kind of. i I mean now
2: if i were running the Cavs, i'd probably be doing the same thing because i've realized this is a completely lost year and they got to keep that top 10 protected pick but they're ostensibly trying to win this year uh, and uh based on the game today unlikely that they are going to be doing that I, I did think their offense had some moments in, in the first half they had a lot of nice back cuts although ultimately especially once the the Hawks started switching a little bit more you know they weren't really able to get the assists going um it looked like Kevin Love was going to be on his way to a monster game and they kind of really got away from giving him the ball. Even with LeBron and Kyrie not there anymore. But, you know, they still have plenty of guards on this team who want to take plenty of uh, ball hog shots and not give Kevin Love the ball. But Love is, for a lot of teams, especially a team that doesn't really have a four, like the Hawks, is very difficult to defend. They're doing a lot of that same action, which is still very difficult to stop. Of We saw it in the playoffs last year. Kevin Love starting in the corner. The smallest guy on the floor or whoever's being guarded by the smallest guy on the floor goes to screen him out of the corner. The ball's at the elbow and he can either get a back screen, go get a post up if you switch it, or if you try to shoot the gap, uh, then he can step back for a three. So, and he's, I was trying to think of other players that it might be interesting to run that for. And there really aren't very many power forwards. Carl Anthony Towns actually would be a fascinating one to run that play with. But, you know, the Wolves just don't really have enough spacing to do that or enough creativity frankly uh but it's a very very difficult play to stop because if you have a guy who can both shoot the three stepping back behind the screen and has post-up ability as well um jenny osmond looks very comfortable from downtown that was one of the big questions for him but he's also still pretty skinny guys who are not even like really strong guys like you know atory and prince are just going right through him uh even when he has position defensively i mentioned thompson's defense and, and just the Cavs' D overall it's not any better uh than it was you know people were actually saying oh maybe with lebron gone it'll be better which you know because he was the leader and because he was giving so little effort last year you thought maybe there could be some truth to that that maybe just like getting him out of their defense defensive culture could help but uh no i mean pretty much like they tried everything it was just as haphazard as it as it always was with lebron there you know they'd switch they didn't know that they were switching they don't have the personnel to switch when love is out there and they can't take love off the floor now the way they used to sometimes uh and they got nobody to protect the rim larry nance to me did not look good as well like you just you're he's got only really one that i can remember he had like a pretty nasty dunk like right away when he first got over and then he had that hamstring injury uh we haven't seen these wow plays from him that we used to see when he was with the lakers he's not really a shot blocker he's not really a switch guy either you know we've talked about why we didn't think that was a great contract uh he he was questionable for today's game with the sprained ankle so maybe he was a little limited but that's another issue for him is health he's got a lot of nagging injuries uh in his career
1: well and Nance did hit two off the top of my head. I remember two long twos in this game, but A, they're long twos, not threes. And B, that's not enough for the defense to really care about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a shot that you're willing in to live with. In today's game, the and... long
2: two is even worse than it always has been because there's such a high offense environment. You're giving up a, a chance at a much better shot. All right, we're good with that. Let's move on to the Detroit Pistons, who I must admit I have not seen a full game of theirs yet, uh, but i think this is uh an interesting question is healthy blake griffin an all-star this season <sighs>
1: I mean, I think there's a chance of it. It's, you know, being in the East as opposed to being in the West opens it up a little bit, but there's, there's still a lot of talent on the forward line. I mean, he's sure as heck, not going to start. I mean, they have, you have Kawhi and you have all of the Celtics guy, you know, the, the Celtics guys, you have some, Giannis is obviously going to start He'll probably be the leading East front court vote getter, but it's not so deep that I think, you know, and he's going to probably have a lot of usage. So my instinct is no but i do think there's a respectable shot
2: yeah i mean you'd have to say especially we'll see how how good the pistons are right i mean and the pistons people forget were actually pretty respectable last year and then of course as soon as reggie jackson goes down they completely fall apart again uh and so if they start off pretty well and you know they're over 500 by a little bit and they're in the playoff mix and they're looking like the sixth seed or something uh, or the seventh seed that i think it it looks a lot better for them if they're not in the playoffs you know i don't see it i mean a, a lot of it is you know how much are the coaches gonna say okay someone like ben simmons or jason tatum gordon hayward coming back from his injury probably isn't gonna have played enough minutes by then he doesn't seem on track but maybe you know how many of these guys uh who are younger versus blake griffin who you know, has never been particularly well liked, uh, but it's still you know more established, a bigger name than some of those guys. Uh, who else is he in, in competition with? Uh, at four, you know, maybe if the Bucks are doing really well, Chris Middleton could be in the mix for one of those front court spots.
1: Well. Kevin Love would be yeah. an interesting
2: yeah. one to he, be in He is a very interesting analog there. Uh you know, obviously Embiid he'll probably be the starting center again, it, you would imagine. Um Kawhi will be in there. I don't think the Raptors will have any other potential candidates in the front court. So I, I think he'll be right on the borderline. I think he's gonna be in competition with Hayward, Tatum simmons and love like those are the guys he's going to be competing with and i think you know depending on what happens with those teams and you know potential injuries you know those could go either way but I, i'd put him you know maybe third out of four in, in that pecking order right now um you know, i think the league has just kind of passed him by and detroit is just sort of this bat, backwater oh and, and his teammate andre drummond is another one who could could be in the, yeah in the mix there also
1: those guys might be competing for one spot it, it's entirely possible to, that it'll go in that direction and all this I'm not going to make this point very often. Oh, Al Horford you care about too. It, but Al Horford. also roster should be... Yeah, so yeah. so yeah, with all those guys... Also roster should I be I think 15. it's probably more
2: likely than not he doesn't make it, unless there are injuries. But, but they did say he's healthy, and odds are at least one of those guys is going to be injured. So that helps him. But I, I'm going to say probably not. I'm going to say he probably doesn't make
1: it. Yeah, I would expect that he does not. Somebody asked if the Pistons can finish above average. I'm going to assume that's above 500. Yeah, they absolutely can. I mean, they... Have enough talent to to beat the bad teams, and then they can compete against the mid tier. I think they'll get worked a lot by the best teams just because they don't have enough offensive firepower, and they're they're not super hard to defend. So they'll probably have to do their damage in the bottom half of the league. But can they? Yes. Will they? I I think I said they would win thirty seven. That's about where I still expect them to be. Yeah,
2: I had them pick for thirty six this year. They're over under. I think it was thirty nine though. So and hey, they started two zero. Those wins are in the bank at least here all right uh we got one more here before we got to take this to a part two and that is the indiana pacers who are two and one as of uh, this discussion um you wanted to introduce a, a feature you're going to be tracking all year here for the pacers
1: yeah i'm not going to give the numbers through three games for this year but i'm going to like so i did this last year i picked a couple of things at the beginning of the year like there was one with demarcus cousins and ad which sadly we only got for half the year but i want to track victor Oladipo's proportion of shots and success on three different categories and so pull up threes last year they were 17 percent of his shots and he made about 36 percent of those so that meant that it was one 1.068 points per shot attempt so that's you know that's good catch and shoot threes 16.6 percent of his attempts 39.4 field goal percentage so that's a 1.18 points per attempt which is great and then on pull-up twos I didn't realize it was as high as it was 30.3 percent of his shots last year and shooting 44 percent on those meant 0.886 so less than a point per attempt on those shots so I'm going to keep track of the proportion and the success rate of those over the course of the year because I think that's going to do a lot to define to figure out what he is and he can, he's still a really really good player either way but I want to see see how those elements change over this year
2: yeah and it would be interesting. interesting. Interesting to see, too, how much he benefits from Tyreek Evans, who looked awesome, actually, in that win over the Nets on Saturday night. Like, some of the Euro steps that he was doing in transition were looking, like, unstoppable. Uh, Really looked good. But, uh, you know, having one more ball handler in the game, maybe he can take away a few of those launches. Interestingly enough, you know, Indiana, I mean, he was 44%. That's an awesome percentage uh for mid-range but indiana took a ton of long twos last year and made a ton of long twos last year and so you know you could say hey maybe you should take a few of those shots uh you know it's good for him to take more threes and that's true to some extent but you know still somebody has to take the long twos on a team in general and so if you you have someone who can make 44 percent of those that's actually like not bad you know so i don't think it's the end of the world that he's taking that um all right we got about six minutes left here so uh the one of the questions we had is how much do you expect the pacers to benefit from roster continuity
1: i think of that really mattering for about the first month of the season and it will really help them because their starting five is exactly the same and those guys fit together well they also played their to me some of their best basketball at the end of last year you know in that playoff run when they took the Cavs to seven games and they did turn over their bench but I think the way that their bench turned over actually works better maybe because you can use Tyreek Evans in a lot of ways he's also an upgrade off of what they had before so I think continuity will really help them because they know where everybody knows where their teammates want the ball and all that kind of stuff how much of a benefit will that be you know maybe a winner or two over the first month of the of the season
2: yeah and they are working in Tyreek who's one of the primary ball and uh, jay michael who's just uh doing great work for the indie star is talking about how tyreek is not quite there as far as what mcmillan wants him to do on either end but he has actually been impressed with tyreek's effort defensively which is you know, the, the more important thing uh they also you know Sabonis has been out for a couple of games and he's one of their best kind of field guys who can take advantage of some of those continuity uh sort of plays uh, as that short role man uh, as a passer in the dho game um another question here should indiana be looking to play sabonis and turner together i don't believe so i think we've been pretty adamant about that both of those guys are centers sabonis really you know he was a rookie but his three ball is not there yet uh you know he, he made like his first like like 40 through like his first like 15 attempts in okc and he's never really made threes since then uh and so he's really a center Uh, certainly offensively uh turner is definitely a center so you know it's having one of those guys just essentially have to space out to three is not the best use of their talents and then defensively is the greater issue uh neither of them can guard the four position Uh, you can understand the thought of like well you know sabonis can't really protect the rim so we'll leave turner in there and then you know it probably works a little better offensively where Turner can just space it out, but defensively is where it really falls apart. And they got plenty of good options at the fourth. Thaddeus Young is an excellent uh defensive four, uh, and then they've got some guys who, who can pop up to play the four uh for, you know, at least offensively in either McDermott or Bogdanovich. Those guys have played a small ball four before. TJ Leaf actually is having an okay start to the season uh before and preseason before injuring his ankle. He's questionable for tomorrow, but yeah. And Nate McMillan has said as much. He said, no, we. We we don't believe that that combination works very well. They played it plenty last year. It was by far the least effective of their big man combinations. They were in the negative when Sabonis and Young and Turner and Young both were really positive combinations for them. So I, I see little reason to try it now the fact that those two guys can't play together is maybe a little bit of an indictment of giving miles turner the extension now instead of waiting to kind of see how it all uh, plays out and seeing if they could get him for cheaper and free agency uh, or just letting him go if he got too much uh, or you know seeing what his performance was over this year you know he hasn't looked amazing so far to this oh he's lost so much weight blah blah but you know we haven't really seen that on the court yet in the preseason or uh, so far this year uh but you know that was a long rambling answer to that well
1: it's it's actually even more stark than I remember. They were outscored by 8.8 points per hundred possessions last year with those guys. So that's one of their worst lineup pairings of all, and when you consider the talent of those two guys. And also, I would mention, I don't like Sabonis and Kyle O'Quinn playing together that much either for similar reasons, because O'Quinn doesn't yeah. space the floor as well as Miles Turner. Yeah, so that's an even worse combination. Yeah, I mean... Mm -hmm. yeah that's why i mean so i wish they had i wish they had one more forward i mean i understand having o'quinn on the roster if he's available for that for that room mid-level because you have it because in in case one of those two guys gets hurt then you can slide the other guy up and just have o'quinn fill in the backup role but i wish they had one more forward it would really really help them another question here how would you rank
2: the pacers bench compared to the rest of the league uh it's pretty good they got very good backups at four of the five positions uh, the one exception being power forward, where they don't really have a, an established backup. Leaf, who was really bad last year, I'm not going to say he's going to be good this year because he's looked slightly better so far. And certainly defensively, uh I'm not buying him at all. But I mean, to really go nine deep with very good legitimate rotation players, and you know, you've got Evans, who probably you know could start for a lot of teams. uh You know, McDermott is is a fine backup. Sabonis is a, a very good quality backup center. Corey Joseph, you know, is close to a starting level of, a player. You know, if a, a very bad starter, but you know he's in the top forty point guards in the league, probably. So no, I think uh, they have pretty good depth. uh Maybe at the one and the three, it's a, it's more concerning that they just don't have that good of a starter at, at those positions. But you know maybe Evans will play, will close games at the three or at the one, um and they can get by that way. So uh no, I, I think it's one of the best ones. I mean, it's not the Celtics, it's not the Clippers, it's not Miami. um Although Jacks, or, or I'm sorry, Evans gives them so much scoring punch that. That, you know they're in pretty good shape there so they're
1: uh they're probably you know in the top five of the league i would say one other one i'd add in at the top is the raptors yes i mean yes. they have a lot just a lot of dudes yes. yeah we're that was part of why that toronto boston game was so much fun is because the quality of play never dipped and it was a blast
2: yeah that really was a fantastic early season basketball um All right. uh, We are about done here for today, but we'll finish up at the East uh, with a part two. We wanted to have enough time to really get into all these great questions that we got on Twitter. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you all then.
0: You must love hoops if you're enjoying another great episode of Dunked On. The Locked On Podcast Network has more hoops for you. Locked On has a podcast on every NBA team. If you're a Lakers fan, a Bucks fan, a Celtics fan, or a Mavericks fan, the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily podcast on your favorite team. All 30 NBA teams have a daily podcast at Locked On. Search on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.